Before we start today's show, I want to give a shout out to our partners for this podcast, Vitality. They are an essential part of me being able to facilitate these conversations. I've been an ambassador now with Vitality for several years and always the one thing that stands out most for me is just how much they care about people's health and are so keen to enhance their experience of life whatever way they can. They understand as much as I do. I think it's never about quick fixes or the one pill fixes everything. It's about the small, healthy, proactive behaviours sustained through a lifetime that can lead to incredible differences. Not only does Vitality protect members with award-winning cover, but they also offer discounts on gym membership, trainers, activity trackers and healthy food too. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome back to I Am, the podcast that explores the possibilities and potential that we can access as human beings. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Guru Mook, who is a Kundalini yoga teacher, someone that's been doing that for 52 years, and she's traveled the globe working with household names that we all very much know of in the Hollywood region and LA and all these kind of places. But also, she's worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people whose names we may not know and never will know, but it's had such a big impact and influence upon them all with her incredible energy, her incredible knowledge, and her incredible journey, which she takes so much time to explain to me and articulate in such a beautiful way and is really open and caring in the way that she does that it's a fabulous interview and i really really hope you enjoy it my name is johnny wilkinson this is the i am podcast with guru mook Let's begin if we can, because I'm so excited. We're going up in the air together. Yes. Wow. What a joy. Gurumuk, what a pleasure and a privilege. This is a really big thing for me and a big moment for me to have this time to talk to you and to explore so much. So welcome to the I Am podcast. And how are you today? I'm so great. I'm so grateful and I'm so great. Thank you for asking. Brilliant. Well, so whereabouts are you in the world right now? We're in the Yucatan. The very, very, very bottom of Mexico, right below us is Guatemala. We were gifted with a beautiful home in the jungle. Oh, wow. Okay, fantastic. And I'm really interested in so much of your story, but also I think it might be handy for lots of people who may be sort of tuning in to understand a bit more about yourself and where your passion and your devotion is in terms of what's important to you in life and what it is you do and how have you come to get there? Wow, that's a big question, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. You know what? As time goes on, I just really know that I am not the doer, that I've been directed all my life since the day I was born to what I should do. Most times when I was very young, I never knew this and I didn't trust knowing this, but now I do. It's like, okay, what's next, God, that you want us to do? And that's how we pretty much came to the Yucatan. It was go south, go south, find the people, the ancient ones that hold the truth that's so needed in this world that's not based on truth now. And for me, Teaching Kundalini Yoga 
for 52 years and finding it a tool that has saved and helped thousands of people all over the world. That's all that I really want to do is give meditations and help people to become teachers. And it's a tool. And it doesn't matter what faith you are, if you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a non-believer, an atheist, it gives you a tool, like you said, to go within and find out who you are, why you're here, and what's going on. Wow, that's truth that you speak of in terms of who you are and why you're here and what's going on. That movement towards truth, has that been your journey through kundalini yoga, through the meditations, through everything, are you feeling like it's an unfolding of that truth? Yeah, I never know everything. We get up very early in the morning, which we encourage people, get up before the sun rises because the answers are there. You're in the dark, you're only with the birds, and then you get to see the sun come up and the whole day begins and you're part of that. And then things get clearer. You understand purpose gets clearer. And when you really study any faith, probably the people you interview, they all know the same thing. Get up with the birds and the answers are all there. And so that's been my practice for many, many years. And that's why when people say, well, what are you going to do next? And I say, I don't know. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to be told what to do next. And I've always been told. That's really, it's exciting and it's interesting, but it's also, I guess, for myself and for maybe others as well, it's quite a challenge because you mentioned at the very beginning about I'm not the doer and through my exploration and through speaking to other people, it's interesting how one of the messages that's come up quite a lot is about the importance of, of almost getting out of your own way so that the truth can be be felt and sort of channeled through you and the idea that we like to think that we take credit for our lives, that we're doing this instead of understanding that it's all happening through us with that incredible sort of open humility. But that challenge when you say, I'm waiting to find out what I do next, it almost brings up a sense of urgency to know and the, the fear of, but what if I never find out? And what if I don't know? And what if, and all these things. And what's been your way of tuning into that voice? Meditation, meditation. Because the only thing that's afraid, the only thing that is urgent to want to know is your mind. And if you become a prisoner of your mind, it can't give you the answers. But it's your meditation. The mind gets quiet. The mind takes a back seat. And the front seat is your, we call it the pituitary gland, the third eye. And it has all and every part of what you know is there. But how do you get to it? Through meditation, through quieting the mind. And then you're not led by the mind. And also, you didn't have the tools when you were a kid. So you spent your whole time being afraid. And I did too, you know, afraid what's going to happen. And then you got into your sports to just get you busy, to quiet <laughs> your mind down, right? Yeah, to yeah. be competitive and, and, and direct your energy like that. And that's what most people do. They're driven for money, for power, for sex, for everything, to keep them busy. And then when you say, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, there must be something else. Then you're led to a path 
And many, many people now are finding a path to quiet the mind, to still and to connect with the soul and connect with the heart. Because the heart is your true intelligence, not up here. This is just a library of information. It's useless, really. But the heart will lead you. And that's why when I told you the Serpent of Light with Drumbelow, he's an author. He's been writing for many, many years now. And it's living in the heart, not from the heart. You will automatically live from the heart. But if you say this part of you is your true intelligence, this is where your real brain is, then you can meditate. You can get the messages and trust the messages. You know, people call nowadays and say, I download, I'm channeling and everything. You're just simply getting the information from the true intelligence, which is your heart. And then life gets so simple. You have prosperity. You have good health. You don't have to grow old. You can enjoy the life. You can live in joy of the life. And when you do that, then you have time to help other people. That's an exciting little passage that you've just led us into there. The shift from head to heart, or at least releasing the head so that the heart can really come through is is an interesting one because certainly from my perspective and what I was doing, the need for guarantees, for answers, for solving problems, for reacting to emotions, to try and get rid of them, to solve them and all these kind of things, it becomes so familiar. It becomes so habitual that it almost gains almost a sense of believable truth that that is just what the answer is. And for me, it took a big, big shock almost through crisis moments, but also through having everything I wanted at one point, which was essentially another crisis moment, to realize that it is an endless cycle and breaking free of that. But breaking free of that feels like if you're not going to be able to use the mind to answer these fears and these kind of emotional sort of powerful resistances, it's it's almost a space of you have to go into the unknown and with a willingness Surely, and I'm wondering what it was like for you, if you can remember to when you first started with meditation. Yeah, what was that experience? Was it something you took to quite quickly? Was it something you were able to just let go and observe, or was it something that? Because I, I know from myself, when people try and sit down and be quiet, it's anything but quiet. Because the mind is so so busy. Well, Johnny. I think when I was a child, like many people, we knew the truth. In fact, when I was small, I almost died at six weeks old. And then the doctor said I would never be normal. And I'm not normal, thank the gods. And I had my parents gave me a nickname. My name at that time, it was a Christian name. It was Mary. They used to call me Mary, sit and do nothing. Can you imagine that? Because we were supposed to, in the 40s, we were supposed to work, 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 make money, you know, a craziness. And they would say, she just sits. <laughs> Mary, sit and do nothing. And they saw, thought something was wrong with me. And that was the 40s. So they had very crude testing at the time to see if my brain worked. And I guess they decided my brain worked okay, but I never was normal, like you would say, 
And then when I reached the age of about 19, I sat in a corner in my house. Do you know the word catatonic? Yeah. Okay. I sat with my face to the wall. It was a corner in my bedroom. And some, again, it was spirit. It was destiny. It said, I'm not going to move till I know why I'm on the earth. Now, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, most people didn't even think about it. They just were going to college and working and making money and getting married and do all that regular stuff. And I it was in Illinois in the USA. And I, I think I sat there for a long time. My parents were very worried about me. I think they brought me food. I can't quite remember it, but I just said, I have to know why I'm on this earth. Otherwise, I don't want to be here. So time went on and I, I started taking a lot of LSD. Did you ever take LSD? No, I haven't, but I'm very intrigued to, to hear your experience with it. You don't have to take it. I think you got through it on your own. I think it probably did some brain cell dead things to my brain, that's for sure. But I saw God. And Johnny, when I saw God in the forest and could hug trees and, and trees were breathing and talking to me, it was just like, it was a very crazy time. It was a hippie time, right? In San Francisco. And then I ended up traveling and hitchhiking everywhere throughout Mexico by myself. I never had any money, but somehow I think I had a thousand angels that kept me alive. And I ended up in Hawaii, body surfing and seeing God, taking peyote, fasting. Oh, I stopped eating, fasting, all this kind of stuff because I wanted to know. I knew there was another world. In our scriptures say there's worlds upon worlds, right? So then when I was 26, a friend told me, I'm going to take you to Arizona. I lived in Big Sur in California. And I said, okay. And we went and I found he was very psychic and he was told by something bigger than him to take me to an ashram. And I went to an ashram in 1970. And it was a Kundalini Yoga ashram. I took my first class and I just cried and cried and cried. And I said, I've come home. Because the experience I had with Kundalini was even better than all the LSD and all the peyote. Because it was coming from inside of me with my breath. Now this friend stayed seven days he paid my first month's rent which was 75 american dollars and he left and i've never seen him since he was like sent by creator 52 years ago and that was the beginning that was the beginning of my journey in kundalini yoga and it sustained me for 52 years and then of course i became a teacher traveled throughout the world india everywhere teaching this science that had saved my life and gave me a tool and a way to live that has sustained me. And it's it's not that complicated what I do. And so that's like my journey. And to get, get up at three or four in the morning with the birds and bow my head and do my yoga and do my chanting, it's I, it's helped so, so 
so many people. The testimonies could be, it'd be volumes, really. People that were, I've gone like to South Africa and, and taught adults that are mentally challenged. I've gone into prisons, hospitals, and the simple meditations that we teach, Johnny, 11 minutes of something can rearrange the cellular structure of your brain. It's, it's an ancient science. Some say it's 40,000 years old. It came from Tibet and the Himalayas in northern India. It was never written down. And then little by little, it was downloaded by our teacher, my teacher, and that's it. I don't make any of this stuff up. It's written, it's documented, it's from this ancient pool of energy, is all I can say. And again, it sounds like, oh yeah, sure. But I guess that's why I feel so good in Mexico now, because the ceremonies here, the people here, the timing here, it, it, you can't put it on a schedule. You can't even write a book about it. And you just start seeing if I can live in the magic and the mysticism, even if I'm in New York City, we say we live in the world, but really not of the world. And right now, the challenge, as we know, from England to USA to, to Russia, you name the countries, to China, it's in, a, it's in a turmoil of people that are longing to know what the truth is, but most, unfortunately, will not know this lifetime. That's really powerful. That really resonates with me especially about the yoga and the kundalini yoga and a lot of the understanding of the body and how things work through that because it's so radically different to how we see the body, certainly in the societies that I live in over here. And I'd love to look into that, but I'm, I might go into the yoga first. When you talk about kundalini yoga, it'd be really good to, I mean, even for myself, I, I've explored kundalini yoga and continue to as part of my work with, with my challenges. And can you give us a bit of a rundown of yoga and kundalini yoga? What does it mean to you and what's kundalini yoga about? Kundalini yoga works the body, the mind, the heart, soul. And one experience for an hour, an hour and a half, can really change your life for the better. It works on a cellular level. It has the ability to heal you to correct any imbalances in your mind from past, from the time you were in your mother's womb. It has the ability to heal in the physical form, to heal in the spiritual form. We call it the yoga of awareness. It wakes you up. It'd be like you're in a sleep and then you wake up. And when you wake up, you get clear. Like this morning, I did a very arduous Kundalini Yoga set. It was about an hour. And it was very physical because I wanted to be clear when I was talking to you, Johnny. <laughs> uh, wow. So I wasn't allowed to sleep. And that's what happens. You can do an 11-minute meditation like I taught yesterday in Tulum. And people say, wow, what happened? I, I feel much clearer. I'm not afraid. Is it just your breath? So it's a science. It's a science. We don't say, Johnny, 
I sure hope it works. We know it works. Like two and two is four. And it works for anybody, anywhere. And yet it's not a religion. It's not a cult. It's not a woo-woo. It's just science. Science of the breath, of angles and movements of the body. And because it's so ancient and it's still, it's alive today. And that's, I guess that's one reason I love living here. Because the Mayans is an ancient science, you might say, of prayer, of ceremony. And then we bring in Kundalini Yoga. It's for everybody and anybody, the housewife at home, children. We teach children all over the world. It's remembering, R-E hyphen, remembering who you are, why you came to this earth, what's your destiny, what, what are you supposed to be doing? People are just wandering around, wondering, why am I here? I'm making money. I'm having babies, you know. It's, but it's not making sense to a lot of people right now. There's got to be something bigger. And then people claim, I would love someday when books get written, but there's no author. An artist paints something amazing, but he doesn't have to put his name on it. <laughs> because, because he understands, Johnny, it's not him. He's the vehicle that's bringing the gifts from a bigger realm. Yeah, wow. It's just so clear. And it, this is so consistent with different experiences from around the world, from different people. But it always seems to come back to the same thing. I love the understanding of remembering. For us, when, when I talk about it, it's kind of that potential. But to understand that you remember it is that you already have it. It just requires, as you said, that expansion of awareness and the realization it's not something that we feel we need to go out and earn and somehow i'm going to have more of my potential if someone thinks this way about me or if someone speaks of me this way or if i win this trophy or achieve this status i will achieve somehow more of my potential it's so so powerful and i think i think the interesting thing for me as well is that you mentioned about the science and the science is we've we're quite quick to buy into certain kinds of science if we can see it and if it seems to make sense to us on that purely physical level. But a lot of this stuff we're talking about in terms of meditation, for me anyway, it it does have the effect. But sometimes I sit there and I want to analyze, I want to know it's working. And it's the same, I guess, that draws me out of actually being fully able to engage. But it's the same, I think, with the body and the chakras and it's not something you can look under a microscope and see. And so it's not in our experience, say, for example, at the beginning or not, not, we're not aware of it. And it feels like it's, for me, it's become so powerful. But at the age of 24, 25, when I was in the middle of my sporting career, if someone came to me talking about chakras and meditation, I'd be wait, I'd be sort of brushing them off on my way out to, to prepare and stress and struggle and go through that anxiety and that pain looking for the gain. And I'm wondering, could you give us a little bit of an insight into what Kundalini looks at in terms of that chakra makeup? Because for me, it really opened my eyes when I was experiencing so much, as you said, in my mind. And yet when it was related to me by someone in the Kundalini field who was sort of saying, recognize this is what the chakras represent and this is where you might be experiencing a kind of blockage on that uh, energy shift I was sort of thinking this is incredible 
that this makes so much sense to me. And yet there was no way that was going to be in my experience when I was younger. I'm wondering how, is there a way of explaining that that could bring it into people's experience now? Well, I think if we just go back to something simple, it's the science of the breath. And that's one thing we can say. You either are breathing and you're alive or you're not breathing and you're not in your body. The more kundalini yoga for me that I do, the more I see creator created, call him God, whatever you want. He created the physical body in a very intricate form like no other animal on the planet Earth. No other animal has a chakra system. They're more instinctual. Instinctual is that first chakra, which most people operate. They more greed, fear, competition, never a feeling of oneness of all. That's first chakra, survival. Most people live in that first, very bottom chakra. The second chakra is your sexuality. Now we have to have sex. Well, these days, I don't know. To procreate the human race, the combinations they're doing now are pretty amazing. So we have to have that urge to have sex, right? I mean, animals is interesting. Let's look at animals. They have times when they have to have sex to procreate their race. They're like a horse. But a horse isn't horny the whole time. He goes into heat. And the male or a peacock, you know, the peacock is dancing and all of that, but not every single day. They mm -hmm. have seasons like a bear will conceive and then hibernate and then have the babies in the spring because they won't have a baby in the winter. Right. Because the baby would freeze to death. So they have certain systems that creator divinely. Now we come with a human being, right? The difference between us as a human being and a bear or a horse or different animals is we have choice. We have choice of how to live. A horse isn't over here wishing he was a cow. He's not practicing woo, right? <laughs> or a cow's not trying to have a sound like a horse. A horse is a horse, cow is a cow, and all of that. But we have a choice, and that's when it gets really hard, when we reincarnate back into human beings. And we have to walk somehow to a higher consciousness. So first, second, third chakra is a beautiful chakra. It's navel. And you had navel when you were doing sports. Otherwise, you wouldn't do as well. You have guts. But which way does that gut go? It goes me, 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 competition, blah, 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 blah. The mafia has strong navels. Political leaders have strong navels. But are they doing it from the heart? No. They're doing it from the lower centers of greed and power, power and greed. There's no wisdom. It's just instinctual. Does this make sense so far? Hugely. Yeah, hugely. Okay. So then this is a pivotal point, the navel. 72,000 nerve endings. If you keep the navel strong, the physical being strong. But if you can't use it as a platform to live from the heart, then it's nothing. You can just be a criminal because you're living from lower centers. So you finally get that grace 
to live from the heart. Is that why with that opportunity at that level, as you said, is a shift downwards from there? It's about almost manipulation to get what you want. But if it moves upwards and it's a platform for the heart, it becomes about the serving and the opportunity to impact on a greater scale. Is that? It's the first level of love. It's the first level of love. And then you can even have a sexual relationship with love, not just lust. Okay. It's a, it's a turning point for the human being when they know this is alive, this is well, this is the most important thing of being a human. Then you go to fifth chakra, which is your voice, power to speak your truth or not. So you can be here and you can be lying. You can be sexual. If you're living from just here, you can be from greed. But if this heart is established, then you can speak words of truth and of love. Then you go to the third eye point, and that gives you the wisdom. It gives you the knowledge. It gives you the insight of the whole thing. And then the pineal gland, which is this chakra right up here, the crown, we call it the crown. You not only know there's a creator, you become the creator. So we say, God in me, and me and God are one. And these are the enlightened ones. This is the Buddha. This is the Jesus. This is those who live in their truth. And then the last is the eighth, which is the light all around you, or no light. You know, it's a journey. It's a journey of 8.4 million lifetimes, we say. It doesn't just happen overnight. And you're longing. You had such a longing to belong. So what did you do, Johnny? You became part of a sports team. You became competitive. You became got to win, got to win. Victory, victory, victory. You did it. You said, oh, no, that's not it. And then God granted you that next step in your evolution. A lot of people don't get granted that because it's not their lifetime to get granted that. Would it be fair to say then in in any moment in terms of the way that we seem to be experiencing life right here and now in this moment would be representative of what's happening on all those levels almost like the kind of alignment or functioning of those chakras and how they relate to each other will give you the experience of life if you like is that kind of how it works so for example for me you mentioned about those base chakra and two and three and so much there and that so much going on that it can almost feel like there's something preventing maybe it's not an an understanding that's missing or an opening or a blockage or resistance that's not allowing the alignment throughout to move up and to start as you said establishing the heart is that about right that our experience of life is essentially a representation of what's happening at our chakra levels and is what's preventing that experience from expanding and growing or connecting well it's not exactly preventing it's to use that word karma Okay. You're just evolving and you're in a perfect place at any of the chakras because it's not your time to rise up to what we say human, which is the heart. And so most people are on survival. Me, 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 more, more, more. And that's just the way they are. They're not good. They're not bad. It's just like if you would say somebody in first grade should be like a college professor. No, they're in first grade in school. And that professor has more 
knowledge in that realm. Nothing's good or bad. Thinking makes it so. And, and I think with Kundalini Yoga, some people will come to a class, Johnny, and they'll leave. It's too weird for them. It's like a radio station. It's just, it makes their head crazy if they hear this truth because they're not ready for it. And that's okay. You know, it's with, it's with everything. You are at the right place at the right time. So you can look at the whole world and say, oh my God, what's going on? But it actually is perfect. <laughs> and the meditations and the yoga practices are designed as part of that science to access what's happening on those deeper levels. And you mentioned the breath, which is something that I really feel I have so much to explore in that way. But are those access points to the chakras in terms of getting a, a bit more of an awareness of what's happening at that level? Absolutely. Absolutely. It gives for a person that lives from the heart great compassion for those who haven't had that experience. And you just want to see if possibly you can help them. We have a big program throughout the world from South Africa to India, here in, in Mexico, and in the USA to feed people. Because if your belly is so hungry for food, you're not even going to think of meditation. You're not even going to think of anything. I remember when I was in London, because we've been there so many times teaching, I went down and the Hare Krishna people, they were taking big buckets of food out to those people who needed to eat. So it's a wonderful place to start your journey to feed people. And once you feed them, their bellies are full and they feel more secure. Just imagine if you were hungry all the time. You can't activate the highest centers if you're hungry, if you have no place to live. It's all different levels. There's thousands of levels of which people are building in consciousness. Triggering me, you mentioned about not having food and how can meditation become important when you're in that survival state of just trying to look after your body. And it feels so true. But then I look at the way that we live, certainly myself, I have lived in, relatively speaking to anything else that we're talking about here, total luxury in terms of my body's always been looked after, shelter, all those kind of survival needs have been met more than adequately in, in every way. And yet I've also been in survival mode where meditation and these ideas about sitting still, even for 10 minutes, was an impossibility because although my body might be okay, suddenly my identity or my image or my who I think I am has constantly felt under threat. And so I feel like those same things for me have been off the table because I've been in that same survival mode even though I look around and there's nothing there's nothing coming for me I'm not short of anything yeah 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 that's so true that millionaire or somebody who has everything has really nothing and and until they can have until you can have that experience of the heart of we call it consciousness I mean for you okay let's just go to you you were miserable because you got everything you were 
you know, in competition and you were good and blah, 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 blah. But what broke you through to even have this show of talking to me? Yeah, I think undoubtedly, if I could put my finger on it, it would probably be having that idea deeply, deeply challenged, feeling like I was running short of options and I had to start. I don't know, it's difficult to say how it switched around, but at some point, something else became more interesting to me. Or important. Or Absolutely. More important it became. And, and in a way, almost like the obsessive interest or willingness that was behind the competition just suddenly started to say, well, I feel like gradually and bit by bit, we're starting to feel a bit done with this. Not necessarily done with the sport, not done with the passion and the love of playing that game, because I feel like that was part of my calling, as you mentioned, everything's perfect. I was meant to be there doing that. It feels like at that time, it's what I was designed or to do. And so that was still of interest to me and important to me. But just the way I was going about it, something that one voice started to lose its grip. And another voice came in that was bringing back that excitement, that childlike excitement that, that realized it felt boundless again. It felt like anything is possible. Whereas the voice before that was a voice of everything is becoming a problem. Okay. What's that voice, Johnny? What's that voice? I feel like that, like you said, that everything's a problem voice was the mind looking for everything that's wrong. And I felt like I was stuck in a couple of archetypes of, I needed to be a warrior. I needed to fight something the whole time. I had to have something there to fight. And there's also this savior idea as I wanted to also be the most important and the best and all this kind of thing and revered for what I did. But this other voice I feel was just something which was a compassionate voice. Yeah, it was your spirit. It was your soul. And if we get that grace to hear that soul, soul's always available. Spirit's always available. But for most people, the mind blocks it. And through grace, it's just grace that you were able to hear that voice and do what you're doing today. And that's the beauty of Kundalini Yoga and meditation is it, it quiets the mind enough so you can hear the truth. We call it satnam. You can hear that voice that says, this is what you can do. And that's called freedom. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Kundalini Yoga. It doesn't matter what path, you're a businessman, you're poor, you're rich, you're whatever. It doesn't matter if you can quiet the mind, nature. I think now a movement to go back to nature, to grow your own food, to eat vegetables and fruit. There's so much that we're going back to now, going back to roots. Simple. Getting off your machines. Checking how much alcohol you're drinking. You know, it's all a part of the rhythm, I believe. And change. Do you pray? Do you believe in a divine guidance? Are you afraid of death? That's a big one. Where do we go when we take our last breath? Ah, 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 <laughs> like that. And Kundalini Yoga meditation helps you to clear because you start seeing 
the unknown. You start having visions of fearlessness. It's magic. Kundalini yoga, I have to say, it's totally magical. That's really beautiful because we take so much notice of what's happening around us in terms of, like you said, media, what's being said, what's happened in the past. And, and we try to use that to form all these kind of understandings about what well, I certainly have in terms of understandings about me and who I am and how, how I fit in. And But actually the answers in a way to that are, are of course, they're, they're within. And having that devotion to looking within and like you said, away from from the stuff which seems to be spiraling in a direction that yeah, nobody really, I don't think, goes to the news to be inspired. Nobody goes to newspapers to feed love and compassion. It's often divisive and it's, I guess, sometimes just bringing people down and criticizing and conflict everywhere. And I think it's really interesting that paying attention to what's within can create also an incredible momentum. But I think it's I think it's important, Johnny, to stop listening to media. <laughs> you know, make a new way of life for yourself. Because media isn't based on truth. Media is based on fear. Get you fearful. Nervous system gets burnt up. Your choices aren't logical. They're they're just based on fear and that herd mentality. And it's real simple because the truth is that we're eight times more magnetic pull for the earth than for spirit. Like even if you go shopping, like as a woman, you can get real titillated with new clothes. At least I do. And you get there and you get, you get kind of excited. You, you kind of this dread, this little thing. Oh, it's so cute. Or a new pair of shoes. You get oh, excited. And men, maybe it's cars. I don't know. But <laughs> The earth is just pulls you so much. Maybe for people, it's sex. It's all of that. And it's more attractive to the mind. And then switch to a Tibetan monk. He doesn't even have pockets to put any money in. And we have a lot of friends who are Tibetan monks. And I, I have never, Johnny, met people who are so happy as Tibetan monks, and they have nothing. They have no material wealth, but they rise in the morning and they do all of their prayers, and then they go and help people. And it kind of blows your mind, but they don't have anything. They don't need anything because they have this. To me right now in the world, the greatest teachers is of the Tibetan lineage. We have a big orphanage. I just got footage. 300 children in northern India on the Tibetan border. And we go there. We're going there in September to be with them. And we help raise money for them. The happiness with these orphans. How can they be happy? They don't have a mom. They don't have a dad. They don't own anything. They use, they're using secondhand clothes. It's unbelievable. We have another program in South Africa in Cape Town where we were serving seven communities food these people don't have any food to eat and watching these kids fill their bowls and laughing it's just like it just makes you want to just help more and more because you start feeling 
where your true happiness comes from. And it's not going out and buying that pair of shoes. It's a moment, but it passes. Sex is a moment, but it passes. Not that those aren't bad. I'm not a renunciate. I have shoes and we engage in sex. It's fine. But we know it's not it. It's kind of like hmm, entertainment, you might say. But that <laughs> the truth comes from how many people can you smile at? How many people can you get on the phone to uplift them because you know they need it? How, how much every day can you do something that helps somebody? And I think it's that collectivism that will heal the world. It's the collectivism that will bring the awakening, not the big foundations that are blah, 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 and half of them are phony anyway. Yeah, that's really brilliant. I, I, do you know, I, I kind of, when you're talking about that, it brings up in me at times in my life when you might have been in a, in a difficult state and you find yourself just kind of, life becomes the entertainment part and the other part you have very little connection with and you find yourself so lost in all those, as you said, fleeting moments. It doesn't even represent joy. It's more just sort of mild pleasure. And then it passes and life becomes about those because what else is there? But then there's the switch where you can't bring yourself to sit down and watch that much TV anymore. You, you know, or or read too much of these things, or, or listen to conversations about what sort of person this person is, and who's right and wrong, and you know who's let themselves down, or let so you know, kind of you, you can't hang around there anymore because something's pulling you, saying that there's nothing here. We say stay in the company. We say of the holy, but stay in the company of like-minded people because there's so many, and see what you can do. You know what just came to me now is the Beatles song, because I love the Beatles. They were our teachers yeah. in the 60s. Absolutely. Without the Beatles, I don't think I would have made it through <laughs> to right now today. No, That's really. Incredible. You know, they're the ones that sang about universal love. What came to me was Eleanor Rigby. Where are all the lonely people? And there's so many people that are just lonely. And to reach out, because the opposite of love is fear. That's bottom line. That's it. It's not hate. It's just fear. And we always say if somebody is doing horrendous acts or mild acts or gossiping or not forgiving, it's just fear. And Kundalini Yoga can lift the fear that congregates in the kidneys in the first chakra. And once you're able to lift the fear, you're able to forgive people. You can say, like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you can say, my father knew. No, he operated out of first chakra fear. He couldn't know about this. Because his mother and his father and on and on and on. Kundalini Yoga has the power to break lineage, break the karma. So you don't have to carry it into your own life with your own children and then those children on and on. And that's how a new world begins. 
The old world is called the Piscean Age. It ended 2012. The Aquarian Age is now that you can say, well, seems worse than ever. <laughs> now I've never seen a world like this because there's always a storm before the light, before the clearing. And that's what's happening right now. So rather than be disturbed, what can I do? What can Johnny do? What can other people do to keep this light alive? To bring the awareness that this is in perfect order. However, let's move forward. Again, for simple people, it's just go out and feed people. Pick up the phone and call somebody and say, how are you doing? And be able to listen to maybe whatever their pain is. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible time we live. That planet Earth has never known before. This is the most unique time. And we just have to help as much as we can. But at the same time, Johnny, we have to dance. We have to laugh. We have to be with children. We have to um, enjoy the life in joy because that will cause other people to say oh he seems so happy why are you happy i'm enjoying the life i'm smiling i'm fixing food for people i'm doing this that oh is that what makes people happy yeah i'm not watching the tv anymore it's uh, the fear thing is a brilliant realization because i think it is quite clear that underneath all that resistance is the fear and the fear of maybe for me anyway, of kind of giving into who, who I really am or all of this is, is such a powerful thing, but it also seems that it's quite easy to talk about society and, and all these kind of things going on, but in a way we're society. And if we start demanding other things and becoming interested in other things, then the demand won't be there to keep up with the present way of life. And it's really interesting that I guess when you start to become interested in the things you're talking about, those things grow naturally as there's a higher demand for it. As more and more people become excited about those things, it grows and that becomes the new society. And it's really powerful that I see fear definitely as you're speaking about it, it's so, so clearly at the root of that. And I think when someone moves into that space of vulnerability in order to shift towards something bigger than fear. I think it's a really powerful undertaking and confronting of challenges and boundaries and limits and everything. And I think it's something to be really admired. And I'm interested in terms of, you mentioned how love and fear are, are sort of opposites. I also hear so much power in the gratitude that you have. And it seems to me that that survival state we're speaking about is so built out of fear. Totally. And then you have the opposite of the survival state, which feels like the create state. And the create state is that love and gratitude and basically the opposite of the fear and the emotions, the reactivity of fear and anger and frustration and I don't know what else, superiority and all these kind of things. But in that create state, it just feels like that shift, imagine what society could look like when supplying an incredible demand for creative and creativity and connectivity. And it feels like such an opportunity, but within me, I know that my society within myself has at times been loaded with fear and that's the way my inner world works. 
And yet when that shift comes, my inner society becomes driven by the other things and it becomes effortlessly simple to follow gratitude and and love and connectivity and inspiration and intuition. And by following them, they grow and they pick up and they accelerate and they expand and it becomes even more simple. And it feels like, again, that inner world and the outer world are hugely connected, but that fear versus that gratitude, that is maybe the key to an enormous transformation. Absolutely. And you know, you cannot be angry a human if they're not afraid. Once it's through grace, you're no longer angry and you're not a victim anymore. You're not like, why me? You understand the whole. And gratitude does come, but it comes from this fourth chakra. And I'm not sure that everyone will arrive at this chakra this lifetime because they're not supposed to. We live in a world of duality. We live in a lot of afraid people. That's why we call it herd mentality. Because the sheep will just follow. Why do they follow? Not from heart, not from love. They follow because they are afraid. So I feel for me and for the science of Kundalini Yoga, if we can lift through meditation, through Kundalini Yoga, through breath, a person out of that lower chakra to have the experience of here. It's almost a feeling like you got when you, I've come home. I've come home. This is where the truth lies. This is where the love lies. This is where the purpose lies. And like the show you're doing now, that the people you call upon to do it, it may not be me that they get the message. They may get it from another speaker and, and and I do feel that all the people that are going online out of necessity from the pandemic um, people are waking up they get to sit at home and listen to a podcast such as this or listen to somebody else that is speaking the truth that that can really help a lot to change the world. So I've always never been an electronic person. I don't even have a computer. But seeing the value of what this little machine can do to help change the human race or not. There's a lot of insanity on this little machine too. <laughs> but through great, right? Yeah. I mean, kids are, kids are just like wowie zowie with their little machines but if people may just hear one line and i'm sure if you think back of all your competitive and all of that the little lines that you might have got from a book from a video from a movie there's little clues all along the way you know like hansel and gretel where the the bread was the dots that they found their way home and when you look back at the people and everything that help keep you and take you. So it's very important what we fill our heads with. So many people fill their heads with really stuff that will drive them crazy or cause immense fear. And that's the news. And that's so much that they're lying. I never watch the news. It's so creepy to me. 
those <laughs> creepy people. And also, when you look around at our leaders that are running this world, most of them are creeps, to say the truth. They're into greed and they're into power because that's the Piscean age. You know, my country's better than yours. My da 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 da, da and the wars that are created, unbelievable. But that's part of the divine plan. Also, we say if you don't, if you don't see God at all, if you don't see God in everything, you don't see God at all. So you have to see. Keep the focus on the divine plan, but know that your world is within yourself. And find like-minded pieces of people, and that longing to belong is more and more now globally to a community that believes what we're talking about today. It's growing. It's really, really growing. I agree. I think it's also really interesting. You mentioned about the technological platforms having the internet now and that reach across the globe and having all kinds of people having lots and lots of people following them and all these amazing opportunities to really make change. But it kind of depends upon how we use it, our awareness of ourselves and our awareness of, of what we can do with these because they're always an immense opportunity or an immense opportunity for the opposite. And it reminds me of my sport that you get these, as players, we used to run around and the game got to a state where there was no space anymore and the referee was blowing his whistle all the time and it just felt really suffocating and cramped and, and less enjoyable. So what they do is they change the rules and everyone says, oh, this is what we've been asking for. We wanted this. And then about three or four months, six months later, you look at the game again and it's back to how it was because the players are cheating again. <laughs> to try to win and do whatever. And they've, yeah. we, you step the rules. So it doesn't matter what opportunity, someone can give you all the freedom you like, but if you don't give it to yourself, you end up very soon, that cycle closes in again and you're back to where you started. And I think part of the, exactly. it's powerful to think, you know, that can be a whole lifetime from day one to the last to your day. last breath. It can be thinking, I'm where I started. I haven't moved. I'm still doing what I did and I haven't gone into that unknown and trusted that maybe, you know, I don't have to control this. Well, a lot of people, you're right, Johnny. And sometimes people have near-death experiences, the unknown. Other people through meditation. But there's so many people, they take their last breath and your whole life is in front of you as you're leaving your body. You probably know that, you know, you leave your body. And so many people say, oh, shit, I missed the, <laughs> no, really, I missed the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and then they, they leave and then they get to reincarnate back to try it again and again and again. And it's through grace. All I can say to find grace is like the divine, how you aren't still in the sports world. And maybe by now you wouldn't be doing sports, but you're a sports commentator and you'd be into the whole thing, you know, beer and on and on and on. <laughs> you got through divine intervention. You got to live that part and now you're living this part. And it's just such a blessing to utilize every day to do what you do. It's so important. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, it made, does make me feel very, very privileged. And, and as you say, blessed and just guided in a way and cared for and looked after Absolutely. on a higher level. And I, I'm really interested just in if it's okay with you as, as we sort of get a bit of a final idea in terms of, you've mentioned a lot about the meditation, the yoga and the Kundalini practice and so much of the serving and the, and the gratitude and this powerful tool for a shift with what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, you're seeing people come to you in difficult states and explore these tools and you're seeing lives change. You mentioned about even health issues on a, on a physical body level. Um, but in turn, you mentioned about mind clearing, but is this just what the experience is for you? It must be incredible to see people come and, and engage in this, in the practice and the tools, and then see the shift happening in front of you. It must be you know, I guess for people like myself to see that, it almost would seem strange. It seems like it's one of those things people are used to the narrative of saying, oh, well, it's just who I am. I can't change. This is who I am and it's how I'm going to be. And, you know, that's a problem. It'll always be a problem. I can't forgive anyone for ever doing that. It's unfortunate that happened to me when I was young, but that's me now, I guess. I'll just try and make the most of it. But what are you seeing in that world of Kundalini with people in transformations? Oh, my God, Johnny. It's like one of my greatest joys is teaching teachers training. We just finished a beautiful training in Mexico. We're going to teach in October in India. It's a 23-day program where people come, they get up early in the morning. It's, it's arduous work, but it's joyful work. And they unlock, we call it rebirth, and rebirth and, and, and cleanse. Like you said, that's just the way I always am. My mother was this way. and da, da, da. It changes, it changes. The shedding of the forgiveness, the tears. And then they go out and they teach it to other people. That's the beauty. Okay, you were able to become whole. Now teach other people to become whole. It happens and happens and happens because I've been doing teachers training since 1985. And to watch the miracle of the physical healing, people will say, you know, I this was wrong or that was wrong or I could never get pregnant or all of a sudden it's like a miracle when you let go of fear then all you've got left is love does it mean you're home free no it means every day you have to check into that remembrance of who you are otherwise you can go south again you can become stupid again it's it's, it's a really powerful understanding though because it's based on the same idea that when I retire, I'll be happy. It's the same oh idea. When, when, I, when I get rid of my fear, I'll be good. Yeah. It's like, but it's not the way it works because what point is there of being here if you, well, not so much the point, but if you haven't got that journey of infinite to keep going, but if you arrive at the final destination, then that must mean that the universe has a final destination. It must mean that there's a limit somewhere. There must be a stop point if we feel that, you know, I retire, that should be good. Oh, no, wait, it hasn't worked. What am I going to do? Oh, well, hold on. If I can just afford that boat. Yeah, or just the classic is like, if I can just get that house, yeah, I'll be happy. So you get the house, you look at the backyard and you say, oh, if I just get the yeah. yard done, <laughs> I'll be happy. And it goes yeah. on and on 
and on and on. And for me, people will always say, being that I'm 80, um, people always ask, when are you going to retire? And I said, I will retire when I take my last breath. <laughs> that yeah. retire is such a, what are you going to do? Like they have all these ads. If you ever look in magazine, the happy white haired people looking at each other and just smiling. What are we going to yes, ride a I've bicycle yeah. all day long? You know, it's like, <laughs> what's your purpose? If you've gained any kind of wisdom and share it, maybe like my brother's 82 now, and he was a very good businessman, successful businessman, not on just earth plane, how much money, he was just a kind being. Now he helps other people who are finishing their university or whatever, that kind of stuff, and helping them to what to do in their lives. And so I think whatever skill creator gave you, then look back and say, how can I help others with it? It, it just never, ever ends. And the joy we have now, my husband and I being married 40 years of not being on, we had yoga centers in New York. We traveled all over the world. We had yoga centers in, in Hollywood and LA and Santa Monica. Busy, busy numbers, getting the people in, doing. We don't do that now, but we still serve. So it all has different chapters, but to take that what you did and say, maybe I can help somebody else who went on this journey also, you know? I think so much is feeling blessed, feeling blessed. Even if you have a life-threatening disease, to just feel blessed that that's your teacher now. And miracles will happen. Miracles will happen. I tell you, miracles will happen. And then having children. You know, how can I give the most to my children of truth and my grandchildren? It never ends. You're never, like, home free in in, in the challenges that are there, they just don't, they're not as big as they used to be because you have much more trust that is presented in front of you to help you to grow, grow where, grow back to spirit, like you said, to that inward journey. And that seems like that shift around yeah. the relationship with those challenges is the freedom. You won't be free of challenges, but you have freedom around the challenge around yeah. what you do with it, how you see it. And you have a freedom with the challenge by saying, thank you. Thank you, O creator, for this challenge, because it's going to help me to go back into pure spirit, back into my heart, back into my inner self. Yeah. I can definitely tell you when I was younger and some challenges came my way, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> I was saying anything no. about that. But you're so correct now with that curiosity and that understanding of growth and the calling and the messaging and the opportunity you almost think now I mean like I said I've been challenged to the level I've been challenged and for so many challenges come in different packages and who knows how extreme and how intense but certainly at the end of the day a little bit for me the question's been with all the fight and resistance the question's been well what else are you going to do you have this challenge yeah. what else is there to do but to look at it accept it and embrace it and engage in it and release the intelligence from it and, and yeah. just and enjoy it. But it's such a, even that itself is a challenging message. But I think your story and your example, what you continue to do, it's phenomenally inspiring. I loved what you said at the beginning is that you don't have to grow old. 
you can you can oh. stay young and you and it's so baffling for people because based on that physical level you almost want to go oh well that's not true but actually it's nothing to do with that on, on an experiential life level there is no difference between when i was 5 and when i'm now you're right i mean in the bible it says only as a child can you enter the kingdom of heaven heaven to me is here on this earth so who made the rules of growing old? Who did that? <laughs> I think Big Pharma did that because they wanted you to take so many meds for hearts, for this, that. And I don't go to doctors, but if I go to healers, they'll say, um, so are you on any medication? And I said, no. And they said, we don't know anybody who's not on wow. something. Yeah. Because if you're on one thing for your heart, then you get constipated. So, okay, yeah. here's yeah. the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so you eliminate. Yeah. Um, now I have bad digestion because of yeah. this other so Okay, that. here's yeah. one for that. <laughs> and pretty soon you got all these little pills yeah. lined up. Yeah, that's another thing. I, I think as I grow older, I can help people to understand. We have an expression. You may die, but you never have to grow old. Oh, wow. And the visions of the ancient ones are to sit in full lotus and full meditation. And you know you're going to go because it's your time to go. Not from dis-ease, but just from time stuff on planet Earth. So you sit and you're able to exhale out the top of your head. There's stories of, of Tibetan Buddhist, there was one fellow who died not, not that long ago in southern India, and he was in full lotus, and he was a Rinpoche of high caliber. He left his body, but the body didn't decompose for 30 days. Even they sent scientists over to, to say, how can he not decompose? He's dead. And he just sat there, and people came from all over. And then after 30 days, they said a drip of white fluid came out of his left nostril. And then he decomposed. So there's just story upon story. I wanted to say one thing because I love so much His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And I had years ago time that I could just be with him when people didn't even hardly know him. And he says so many good things. But one thing he says, my happiness is your happiness. In other words, I cannot be fully happy unless you can become fully happy. So his whole mission was just, and it continues to this day, I think he's 85, to just bring that idea of joy and happiness and that possibility and that purpose for being alive. He's touched probably more people's hearts, just his presence. I can remember one time I was in Washington, D.C., 40,000 people awaited his arrival. And he's a little man, and he's kind of humped over. I always wished I could teach him yoga. And there was that little buzz of anticipation, 40,000 people in a big place. As soon as he walked in, this little man who didn't own anything, who just wore the same robe for thousands of years and there was a silence that prevailed and if you were there any place in his presence i'm already tingling my arms because you had the experience of how one little tibetan 
refugee, really, had the power to bring a peace to everyone. It shows you human potential of what we can do wherever we are. And we most likely will not be him. Potential of that energy that we can spread, like you're spreading, having these podcasts you're doing. It's just like, it's unbelievable. I love that message about the human potential and also that about finding that joy and that excitement and passion and understanding that it's tough to enjoy some moments because of what's already there, but to, through the, like you mentioned with the Kundalini and certain tools to, to just work through it in the name of joy. Yeah. And to to let that be your gift, because I don't know anyone who at their most deeply joyful is a problem to anyone else. You can't help, you can't help but uplift. You can't help but support. You can't help but become more sensitive and compassionate or even know what's needed so you perform you lead you relate you do everything and everyone wants to read books on these things to find out how to do it but ultimately you already know just find your joy you're exactly right and you know when you think of certain people like i have so many people in my life but i think of somebody who smiles all the time and i just start smiling (laughs) One of the best things you can give to the world is smiling. And you know, when you smile scientifically and medically, when the lips go up, they connect to this whole frontal lobe. And that's where your joy is from. Third eye point, frontal lobe. Not the instinctual at the base of the skull, which creates fear. Like apes, they got that big old head, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But in some ways, they're more happy because that's all they know. An ape is an ape. A horse is a horse. But what's a human? The vastness of what you can become is unbelievable. Anything. And I I think that privilege and choice and freedom is definitely something to be grateful for. I've been smiling throughout this entire interview and I feel great for it. Oh, I have got a slight ache around my jaw, <laughs> but, but I've thoroughly, I've thoroughly, I've thoroughly enjoyed the interview. It's been absolutely amazing. And, and I know you've given us so much of your time. I'd love to be able to uh, even just to drop you a message one time, just to say thank you and, and keep in touch and to know if, you know, like you mentioned about Kundalini and everything, I'd love to be able to even try that out or see where you are. You've got to. Mick Jagger said time. Time is on my side. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. What an awesome time. Jeez, that's flown by. An hour and a half has just flown by. (laughs) Wow. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously. 
And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference, which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.